Hi. Hello. I'm Katerina, and you've just joined Creators Abroad's podcast. This is going to be quite a journey. We're taking risks, finding opportunities and sparking our imaginations. I'm here to be part of your creative journey and share tips with you on how to build a new life anywhere in the world. And most importantly, make a living as a creator. To do that, I invite awesome creatives from all walks of life and corners of the globe to discuss one important topic close to our hearts. In studio today is Mike Murray, chiropractor turned musician. Well, actually, he was a musician all along, but he did the chiropractic thing first. When he moved from New York City to Belgium, however, he decided it was the ideal time to wipe his professional slate clean and become a full-time musician. Now he's 38. Sorry, Mike, you did post this on Instagram. And what he wants to emphasize to others is there's never a right or wrong time to do the thing you love, to reconnect to the artist within. Or is there? And why do we ever disconnect from our inner artist and feel like we need to do a traditional nine to five to survive and be happy, be accepted? I'm super curious to discuss this with Mike as I went down a similar route to him, pursuing plan B, the safe career, teaching in my case, first, before I realised I was never going to get rid of that sometimes pesky, sometimes irrational artist within and that there was perhaps another life out there for me. Maybe you're in the same position as Mike and I a couple of years ago, or maybe you're doubting the creative path you've chosen or given up a full-time job to pursue. Then this will help wrap your head around what to do next. Before we get started, I'd love to know where you're actually at in your creative journey. DM me on Insta and I'll pick one name to shout out in my next episode. But for now, guys, let's kick this conversation off. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me. Lovely introduction. Can you give our listeners an idea from your perspective of who you are? Imagine there's a film soon to be released called The Artist Within. Briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer. Yeah, the style of a film trailer. I don't watch enough movies. I used to, though. But I would say, you know, the story of my life so far is, you know, one, you know, a young man who follows the conventional wisdom, you know, shared by family and, and teachers, etc., only to wind up really bored, apathetic, unhappy, um, and decides, you know, this is no way to live life. I don't want to continue down this road. I can't imagine waking up in another 10, 20, 30, 40 years still doing the same thing. So I need to make a change and then following, you know, sort of that gut level instinct and and the the joy that I find that I had in my life at that time, which was rooted in music. So deciding right then and there, you know, early 30s, like, okay, I'm going to keep following this and make this my living. Scene one, choosing a safe career in New York. Your first career was as a chiropractor, as we mentioned, in New York. So this seems worlds apart from where you're at at the moment, like in Belgium. I'm not entirely sure where exactly in Belgium, but trying to build or building a career as a musician. Tell us a little bit more about your previous life in New York. Like, oh, and very specifically, like what are the three most important factors that made you become a chiropractor? Well... I actually have a degree in painting and drawing. My undergrad degree is in art. And so I guess you could say my first career career was I got out of school and I started painting. And, you know, my parents were kind of looking at me. I remember my mom asking me one day, like, what are you just going to paint all day? And I was like, yeah. You know, so you start to feel this pressure coming down on you. Like, really, is this, is this what you're going to do now? You know, you're... 22 and you're just going to paint and try to make a living that way. I was going to the chiropractor because my mom wanted us to go. And that's a whole other story. And, um, and I thought, okay, these people, they're the doctor's always in a good mood. Patients are always in a good mood. So it seemed like an uplifting environment to be in. Um, I thought they had great hours. My, that was a huge draw for me. Right. 
because the, you know they didn't start until like twelve noon. They worked for a few hours, took a big break, worked for a few more hours. I mean, it's not shabby. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. not a shabby way to make a living in that sense. And then, um, so basically, I just opened my big fat mouth and I said, "I think I want to be a chiropractor." And I should have probably kept that inside and, and sort of evaluated that more on my own before sort of speaking it to those around me because everybody ended up being super supportive. And the statement that they kept sharing with me, this idea, they would always say, oh, you can use your, you can use your work to fund your passion. You know, you can make money as a chiropractor and still be an artist and still be a musician. And I bought into that idea hook, line, and sinker. Um, and that's kind of ironic that I did, honestly, because I remember I originally went to college for, to be an art teacher. And my art teacher sat me down one day and said, I know you're doing this because you think you'll have time to paint and draw and do what you love outside of teaching. He's like, I promise you, you won't, right? He's like, it's, I'm too busy for that. And so his feeling was like, if you just want to do art, just do art. And so then, of course, I switched out of art education into just painting and drawing. Yeah. I'm sure my parents were thrilled. <laughs> but so I kind of knew, someone had kind of warned me. I look back now and I think like, wow, someone kind of warned me like that there isn't all of this time to really focus on what you love when you do something else. And I guess I just forgot and enough people convinced me that was true. So I ended up going to chiropractic school and uh, not going to lie, there was many times where I thought about dropping out. Um, I felt a little out of place as an artist. There wasn't, it was all, I was one of two artists in my class where everyone else was science majors, etc. And uh, I still did a lot of, Art and I even played in drums in a cover band with my anatomy professor. Um, and there was many was he times. one of the other artists? <laughs> no, well, maybe in a previous life. He yeah, was an interesting right. guy. He he had long hair, yeah. and uh, came up to me on like the second day of school, and he's like, "Are you Mike Murray?" And I was like, "Oh shit, what did I do?" And he's like, "I hear you play drums." <laughs> yeah, so we ended up hitting it off, playing music together for a couple of years. Ironically enough, his the bass player at the time who also played with me, we ended up joining a band together in New York City in my early 30s. That was awesome. Anyways, I thought about dropping out multiple times. And really the only thing that kept me going was the immense amount of loans that I was acquiring. And so it, it seemed to me that at that point, I was too far in debt to drop out and then just repay that debt without having a career to show for it. Um, so, so my younger mind at the time thought that the best way would just be to see it through and go all the way to the end and be able to somehow pay it back that way. Spoiler alert, I still haven't paid it back <laughs> after know. 12 years of I think that's like, yeah, such a massive thing and such a massive problem with a lot of people who obviously acquire that debt and then they basically spend their whole lives paying it off. Sorry, I didn't really want to bring this up. <laughs> But yeah. No, no, it's true. Our teachers literally mm -hmm. told us that, right? We had teachers who were still paying their debt who were 20, 30 years older than us, right? I know my colleagues who are chiropractors mm -hmm. are still paying their debt, right? I've talked to them. I only know one person who's paid it off. And he lived at home for years when he got started. Yeah, that's probably, like, you save so much if you just don't have to pay the rent and some of the other costs. So that's one idea. Well, several things that crossed my mind while you were talking, um, and it's some, a lot of this similar to my own experiences, is I think it's firstly just, and I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, but when you start out on a creative career, it's the difficult for others to really see where it's leading. And it's that non-traditional It's not clear where it's going. It's not clear how there's going to eventually be an income. And then those little hints that drop, though those hints build up and then eventually make us kind of think about other directions. Like what parents and those around us, because it's not always parents, can be other people say. And how what they say kind of influences to take a safer direction. I mean, it's like I said, because the artistic route seem to have loads of higher risks. Um, it's not clear. It's You don't always learn all the skills as an artist to know what you have to do. But then often it's us eventually who just tell 
ourselves, okay, Mill, maybe it's time to change to to find something else. In your case, you kind of found the chiropractic route. I wanted, I can't remember. What, oh, I was just going to ask you if it's actually true that they only have those working hours. I went to a chiropractor once or twice in my youth, but I was like amazed when you said they only start at noon. So I'm like, hey, why didn't I do that? <laughs> why did I choose the teaching route? <laughs> like working myself to death. But anyway, um, so especially when you're getting started, it's really scary to actually imagine that there's just no income, there's no stability and so forth. No clear career progression. In your case, you're out the debt as well. So tell us a little bit more about what was your real passion And did you try to do this, well, while being a chiropractor? Did you try being a musician or was it painting at that stage? Or didn't it work out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to be or I I have been a musician um, very actively. I I don't remember how old I was. I guess I was maybe 30 to 32. Somewhere in my early 30s was when I realized, like, yeah, I can't keep on like this. I'm already 30 and I'm already bored. Maybe that's it. Maybe my problem is that I get bored easily. So I need something that's like not so normal or constant. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I just thought like already my days feel very much the same. I'm listening to the same stories, even if they're different people. And so I was in New York and you know, I started asking myself this question, like, what is it that I love to do? Right, because I had also I had given up painting at that time because I felt bored with it. I was like, okay, I'm just painting. It wasn't striking a chord with me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted something to feel. I wanted something that felt more visceral, like really, like mm-hmm. it, part of that was inspired by watching a video of Keith Haring painting to a Nirvana song, and I thought, man, my painting is not like his painting. Like his, it was a very felt experience for him, and and. My art wasn't like that and started recognizing like, you know, the times when I feel in the zone and really like connected in a, to like a physical sense of my body is when I'm drumming or singing uh, or listening to music. And so I started, started recognizing these little hints. You know, another question that I was asking myself is like, what are the things that I do for free that I don't mind doing? Right. And I, at that time I was playing drums in a church band. I did that for pretty much the whole time I was in Brooklyn. And so I was like, okay, I really love going there every Sunday. I'm not religious, but I just go and play the drums because it's super fun. And the musicians are great. No, I mean, yeah. I'm getting a little more into the Bible and Jesus these days, but not in a conservative Christian sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so yeah. those questions kind of led me down that trajectory. And then I started playing music really actively in a couple bands in New York City as a chiropractor. And so, yeah, I was really trying to kind of juggle both of those things, make a go of it. And ultimately what I found was that not everybody in the band shared my level of enthusiasm or my sort of desire to, to really pursue this. And so that's when I started realizing like, okay, if, if this is really what I want to do, I have to not be the drummer and be a little more in charge of it. <laughs> the music and everything. And that's when I started teaching myself how to play guitar, learning how to play guitar from YouTube. (laughs) And and that kind of segues to, you know, that kind of brings us up to where I landed in Brussels. It was part of, um, part of my willingness to cut the cord with New York city and my, my business. I literally had an office that was all my own and I left it. So you, did you have your own practice? Yes. Yeah. It was my own. Right. I had it for, I guess I had it for eight years, somewhere around seven or eight years. Yeah. You must have been a pretty cool chiropractor. <laughs> I had very long hair. I was playing drums, so I had hair down to like, you know, almost my belly button, a beard. Sometimes I would put my hair in like this really long braid. I mean, I looked pretty ridiculous. I wasn't your average chiropractor. I was a pretty crunchy, hippie chiropractor. Other than my first year where I worked in a legitimate office in Manhattan and realized I got to get the hell out of here. This is not for me. Other than that first year, I mean, I worked out of CrossFit gyms. I was wearing jean shorts and t-shirts. I worked out of some like art spaces that I would rent. And so, yeah, I was (laughs) non-traditional. 
<laughs> it sounds pretty fun, you know. I was like, this is actually like quite a good story. <laughs> Can just yeah, imagine the cool. film already being made. <laughs> Perfect. Well, maybe someday there will be. Yeah. Thinking back to that moment where you decided, okay, I want to be a chiropractor, where you you voiced it without really having that certainty. And I mean, it's the same for when I think back to all the decisions I made. We we tend to think back and wonder if we will make those decisions again, given the chance, or even given the miraculous moment of time travel. If we go back, will we make that same decision? And I sometimes think we will. We'll always make the same decisions we've made. Or is it? So maybe you disagree. Based on your own experience, do you believe... It's for the best to listen to the practical advice first. Kind of get out there, discover that, well, I'm getting bored. This is really not for me. I don't want to do this. And then find a new path. I have a couple comments on that idea. Um, I would say that for starters, I recognize looking back that I'm actually truly grateful for the experience that I've had so far because it led me to exactly this point. And I feel like my journey has given me, I don't know, like a voice or something to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Because I, 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 I want to make the music and, and my message something to stand for, you know? So, so in this sense, it's like, you know, sharing this honest story of, yeah, following the conventional route and recognizing that it doesn't bring happiness, right? And so what does bring happiness is like really following your heart. So I appreciate that I've had that journey so that I can share that story and, and just recognize it in my own like existence. Um, I don't know if I just said a bunch of nonsense there or not. It might have been coherent. It might have been no, just No, that was perfect. Gibberish. <laughs> I was just talking to somebody else about because we we often, and I I do this myself. We sometimes focus on the negative parts of, you know, the artistic route, but never actually say that. Well, the reason we we able to just put up with all of some all of the hard things is because it brings us happiness, because it makes us happy, and that's exactly what you just illustrated. Is that's what it comes down to. I think it also gives me, like, for instance, I've, I've said to a few people in the past that I don't have a plan B anymore. Like, I already did plan B as a chiropractor, and I don't want to go back to that. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I know my parents are probably thinking in the back of their head, like, oh, well, he can always go be a chiropractor. So, like, you know, just let him, like, kind of, you know, they don't really say anything about my choices anymore anyways. But I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking, like, he'll come around to it. Do you know what I mean? Versus I have more of like, I've burned the bridges mentality. There's no going back. We burn the boats. My friend Brandon always says burn the boats, right? Okay. And uh, I've burned that boat. I don't, I'm not going back. So there's only like one path forward and it's just one foot in front of the next. Yeah, I, I mean, there. I think that's the whole th idea. If you think you're going to go back, you're always going to hold back. If you think sure, there's please. only a way forward, then you're going to make a way. And even if it doesn't work out exactly as you think, you'll still be going forward instead of going back. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. But the other thing I wanted to share with this idea was I have a lot of friends from my youth, like in particularly the high school that I went to, there was a group of like four or five guys there who they actually got signed to a, a major record label. For, for metal music, but nonetheless, major record deal, right? There's nothing wrong with metal music. You're yeah. like, for no, metal? No, <laughs> no nothing wrong. Um, it wasn't like they got signed to Universal. It was called oh, Metal yeah. Blade, okay. metal Blade Records, yeah. right? But Metal Blade Records was a big deal within the metal mm. scene. It was like the one of the biggest record labels for metal. And, you know, they were 18, 19, touring the U.S. and parts of like Canada and Mexico and everything. And the experience kind of chewed them up and shit them out. Mm -hmm. And it gave them all a really bad taste for their passion. You know what I mean? It, it, like they were very talented musicians and none of them are doing music anymore. Or at least if they are, it's just maybe some hobby guitar, you know, in their side bedroom or something. Like to my knowledge, none of them are pursuing music actively. And I think that's a shame. And I know 
I have other examples of friends, whether it was in college or, you know, acquaintances that I met over the years that also did very similar things. And now they've kind of settled into what I would consider more of a normal conventional life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Their journey is their journey. I'm on my journey. You know, they probably feel very fulfilled having gone that route earlier on and now recognizing like, yeah, I don't want to go do that again versus I'm, well, I kind of just have the flip of that. Yeah. You did plan B first. Now you're on to plan A. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping to do plan A a little more, at least different. I think I'm in a uh, great age for that as far as like you yeah. can be independent and yeah, I'm not intending to sleep on anybody's too many house clothes, so I don't want to sleep on too many floors at this point. I'm too old for that shit. Or staircases. That's my best example. Sleeping yeah, on exactly. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, let's hear a little bit more about Belgium. Okay. I'm ready. Scene two. Artistic risks in Belgium. So when you move to Belgium with your wife, and we haven't touched on that whole aspect of your life yet, so you can maybe give us a little bit of information. It gave you a natural opportunity to reimagine yourself. And that's why I actually love traveling. I love moving from one place to the other. And I know I'm like kind of like a fake nomad at the moment, but that's why I always embrace the nomadic lifestyle and always think that eventually I'm going to go somewhere else because it gives you a kind of clean break and an opportunity to start things afresh. This is what happened to me when I came to England. And yet, yet, I still felt a lot of pressure to follow a normal career path. Firstly, tell us, why did you move to Belgium? Well, totally. I mean, there was family reasons nothing graver, you know, it was just like my wife's family lives in the Netherlands. So this was an opportunity to live closer to them. But from like my, my personal sense was that I was very open to the idea of, yeah, kind of wiping the slate clean. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I knew that if I was still in New York, I'd still have my business. I'd still be working out of a similar, very similar office space, et cetera, because who I mean, to really leave that behind when it's just like kind of has this, oh, its own forward momentum and to, to decide, let's suppose why I'd still be juggling the two. I'd be doing music and chiropractic and kind of like playing with them like this, right? And even did a little bit of that in Belgium, if I'm being honest. But uh, it felt like a chance to just kind of like wipe the slate clean, leave the practice behind and start anew. And so that was, you know, a big draw for me to just, yeah, let's go for it, babe. Why not? Let's move to to Brussels. That's what part of Belgium we're in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's so that's interesting that you had that same kind of thinking of wiping the slate clean because I wasn't entirely sure if it was just that or just practical reasons. But can you maybe describe the thought process that made you choose a music career in Brussels above chiropractic? So what just made you decide, well, I know I can do this. I know I can have the stability, but I'm now going to take that chance. Yeah, well, it didn't so much have anything as far as Brussels was concerned. It wasn't like, oh, I see Brussels as some great space to start a music career in. It was more like, I'm going to do music. I can go anywhere and do music. It comes with me to an extent, right? Or it completely comes with me because it's in me. So some of the bands that I had been in at the time in New York City that I felt uh, had a real opportunity to move forward, we're starting to dissolve. And that was kind of what was keeping me anchored in New York City. And so as those things started to dissolve, I just felt less attachment to being in New York. And um, we just happened to visit Brussels and I enjoyed the vibe here. It has like a multicultural vibe. It's uh, similar to Brooklyn, I think in a lot of ways in, in New York. So we, we were like, okay, there's, there's an energy here and it's way more relaxed, which was something that I was looking for compared to New York. Um, and so it was like, yeah, let's just go for it. Let's try something new. And, you know, so I was already on the path of like starting building as a musician, et cetera. And it was just a natural progression. But here it was like a, a chance to give myself a little more space to do that in. Did you reimagine your own music, your own uh, identity as a musician because you're talking about going from bands and I'm not entirely sure if you're now in a band or if you're just to be 
a solo musician? Yeah, yeah, both. Uh, but primarily my main focus is my solo music now because, again, as a drummer, I feel like you kind of play the caboose on the train. You know what I mean? And so, like, you're not necessarily the driving force of the songwriting. I was going to say, you're the driving force of the song. Yeah, <laughs> but not of the songwriting. Like, you know, as a drummer, I wait for the guitar player, the singer, songwriter, whoever to come with the songs, and then I just lay a foundation of beat to it. And so, yeah, as I kind of left my drumming responsibilities in New York, that's when um, I had was getting a little more comfortable in guitar at that time, so I could start to write my own music. And so when I landed in Brussels, it was like, okay, full steam ahead. I mean, I literally met a guy here on my like third day here and my guitar was still traveling across the ocean on a ship and it was going to take like a month and a half. And this gentleman let me borrow a guitar just based on a conversation. And, you know, so I had a lot of time on my hand at that point because we were settling in. And so just started, you know, actively playing guitar more, writing more songs, a lot of bad songs, right? Just the natural progression of writing music. You write a lot of bad songs before you write some good songs. And Do you ever share those? I probably will at some point. Yeah, I've got a couple of them recorded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I try to find some of your music and so on, but you seem to still have not all of it is out there yet. Oh, definitely not. No, I'm just getting okay. started in that sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was a chance to reinvent imagine myself as like a creative and I kind of stepped into more of a singer songwriter role and writing music that way. But yeah, at this point I've only released four songs because part of that was coronavirus, you know, and <laughs> lockdown and yeah. then hooking up with a gentleman to help me produce my first single and then recognizing during that process, no offense to him, but like, I was like, I can do this myself. Um, a lot of it's just setting up a microphone in front of an instrument and pressing record. <laughs> God bless them. And so then, then the learning curve of learning how to self-produce. And so like the last three singles have been self-produced and I have another one coming out whenever I feel like it, it's, it's done. So yeah. they're all, they're all lined up. And I think you just touched on it's such a crucial point for anybody who looking to like make a career out of their creativity or their art or passion or whatever th that might be is that it's a learning curve and you should never expect it all just to happen like that and you should appreciate the learning that takes place and the skills that you develop in the process as well but of course not everyone is actually cut out to be a creative to go through that learning curve to stick it out um, even though we love talking about like the artistic lifestyle and all of that it's really hard and it's the same with entrepreneurship There's a lot of extra skills that you need to learn and that you need to then put in practice. And this might not always be something that you enjoy doing. So there's a lot to balance. And of course, there are many highs and lows because you're not working for somebody else who controls and goes through all of those highs and lows for you. So if you thrive, so in general, if a listener or if somebody on the street, if they thrive on stability, they might actually not enjoy the whole, you know, creative lifestyle, the whole building your career as an artist or as an entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur, whatever you, you're going down. And it might actually just be too emotionally draining. But before we talk about the highs and lows, can you talk a little bit more about the cultural adaptation in Belgium? If it was hard, if it was easy, and do you find it more artistically vibrant or is it pretty much the same as in New York? I would say it's pretty artistically vibrant here, for sure. Um, There's some music just now. Yeah, that ice cream truck. <laughs> perfect timing. No, I'm like, great. that's such spooky music. It's so good. Yeah, ice cream truck music. But they had spooky ice cream truck music in New York, too. Oh. Um, there's definitely a music scene here. It's different. It's a little smaller in some sense, but then in its smallness, there's um, a greater sense of community. And so you end up knowing a lot of acquaintances, you know, and, and so then you kind of, your list of, you know, connections and acquaintances grows. Um, so that's interesting. That's really cool. Oh, you know that? Oh, hey, oh, you know, um, yeah. there's like, there's some of that in Brooklyn too, in New York as well, but it's like probably more in pockets versus 
um, because of the different neighborhoods and the sheer size of the city. I thought one of the unique things about Brussels is like there's an open mic night, or at least there used to be before lockdowns. And it was on Monday nights and there would be, you know, 150, 200 people there and only 5% of them are performers. The rest are there to literally enjoy the event. And that was really unnerving as a, as a performer because open mics in New York, you know, it's in a bar. Everybody who's there is a performer. There's only like 14 or 20 people there. And because there's so many options for things to do in New York that it's like, who's going to go to an open mic unless they're performing, right? But in Brussels, there's less options. You know, there isn't a concert to go to every night. There isn't something to do every night. And so these smaller events become more attended. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. It's nice. It's nice. Stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Brussels has a cool scene here. Uh, integration wise, you know, it's a very multicultural city, very multilingual. I mean, I hear French on the streets, Dutch, Spanish, English, Russian, you know, etc. Um, so a lot of people speak English here. And so that was a big draw for me because I didn't want to learn a language. I wanted to learn to be a better guitar player. I wanted oh, to damn, focus I on my gonna, I was just going to offer my French teaching oh, yeah. services to you. No, I don't oh. I don't care and I don't want to learn. I mean, I I'm, I've been here for it'll be 3 years September 2nd. Yeah. And uh, I hardly know any French other than just some niceties. Bonjour, blah blah blah, you know, elle est gentille for my dog. She's she's gentle, she's friendly. Yeah. Um and I don't say those things correctly either and um I think at first I was a little more reserved in like how I approached people. Um, but now someone says something to me, generally I can understand what they mean in context if they approach me in French and I just respond in English. A lot of times I'll say, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't speak French. I sort of apologize and then sort of takes their guard down and then they just start talking to me in English. And, uh, I'm completely just a, arrogant American abroad. I mean, it's really, what's the word? I'm a stereotype. And that's sad because it's not necessarily in my personality, but to be kind of like this brash American of like, here I am, better speak English with me. Um, But the truth is, is that I want to focus all my creative energy on music and not learning a language. And I tried, took French lessons uh, the apps, you know, books and stuff. And it just was like throwing a ball at the wall. Just nothing was sticking. So if you're looking to integrate, do it in Brussels. If you only speak English or Ireland or England or Australia or something, you know, I would be super in over my head. If I was in some place like France or Italy, I would be forced to learn the language. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know a little bit of Spanish, so I probably would have gone to Spain or Mexico. Yeah, so I mean that that's quite interesting that you you're fairly honest about that aspect of it and like it's just all in on the music, man. <laughs> We're not yeah. gonna bother with the language. People would ask me when I got here, like, oh, are you learning French? And I would say, No, I'm learning guitar. And they thought I was joking, you know? Mm. But I wasn't, I was dead serious. Yeah. Now I'm learning music production. I'm I'm just got a new instrument last week, you know, I'm learning how that thing works. Well, thinking now a little bit more about those highs and lows that I spoke about. um, So you made the point that you're completely in on the music, you're learning that. And luckily, you're in a place where the cultural integration is not really interfering. But you still experience highs and lows, nevertheless. What has been, and thinking specifically of giving maybe advice to someone who's really passionate and really motivated in their creative pursuits, what has been your lowest low so far? And how have you overcome it? I'll say there was two lows. The first one was just the sheer, I don't want to use, I guess I'll use the word shock, but it was like the transition period of like, okay, I just left everything behind. Family, business, friends. I'm in another country. It wasn't a bad country to be in. So there was like, you know, comfortable. But there was sort of this like, almost like a detox of, well, a detox of adrenaline because I was living in New York. So it was like my body was sort of shedding that state of being 
that comes with living in such an extreme environment. And then kind of like the, the kind of finding your footing mentally of like, who am I now? What am I doing? You know? And if I'm being completely honest, I drank a lot of wine during that period. I mean, like I got here and it was, you know, you get a bottle of wine for four euros. Yeah. It's really really cheap cheap. and cheaper than four euros for sure. If you want it and it's good. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, this is like a whole bottle for less than a glass in a restaurant in New York. And you're just like, bloop, 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 uh, drinking. Um, so I drank too much. And then, you know, yeah, you just kind of start to drop that habit. You, no one likes to be hung over. So you, you just knock it off. Or at least I did, you know. But that wasn't really the lowest low. There's always lows with music. I know there's a song by Mo Steph and he says the highs are highs and the lows are lows. And it's like, I know what he's talking about during that rap, but there was a, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago where I woke up at 4 a.m. in the morning and I was just like, what is the point of all of this? I get and that was, all the time. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was also kind of existential though, not even just about music and creativity, but just like life. I was like, what is going on? Like, what is the point of all of this? Like, I'm just, I don't know. Yeah, it was weird. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. what got me through it was reconnecting with spiritual teachings Okay. You know, so I started I started reading books and I've always been into like philosophical religious books and um so I just started like I, I started reading a book and then they would mention an author and then I would read another book based on you know, I just like a name in a, a name in a book would like strike something in me and so then I would pick that book up and there's this great app called Scribd. Plug for Scribd if you're out there, Scribd. I'm open to you know, working together here, yeah. but um, it's like a monthly fee and it's just like endless books, you know, it's kind of like Kindle, but, but Netflix for books, you know, um, they pretty much have everything. And so, you know, it's just like, Oh, I'll read that book. Okay. Now I'll read this book. And I kind of just started going down this rabbit hole of spiritual books and kind of landed on a few that were rooted in Christianity, but not in a, like a, like I said, like a conservative dogmatic sense. And, um, I don't know, reading those things has brought me a lot of comfort recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, it's taught me more patience in everything that I'm trying to pursue because the world of being a creative comes with a whole slew of people who want to market to you about how they're going to help you make your business a reality in this digital age. And it's just like an onslaught of information. And I think. Personally, I started to feel that some of it was designed to kind of keep your anxiety levels up so that if your anxiety levels are up, you're more likely to purchase courses or purchase trainings or, you know, watch YouTube videos. So basically ingest content. And so it kind of just like puts you in this anxious state. Yeah. And so a lot of the reading lately has helped me just like sit back and be more patient. And I don't think if it had, like, I would have already released that song. Like, I have a song that's done, mm-hmm. right? I have a lot of songs that are 70, 80, 90% done, you know? And the plan was, like, keep finishing those songs and release a song every month and, like, make a video for those songs. and, just, yeah. and, and uh, uh, Right? Constant, constant. And now I'm just like, you know what? No, it's not what I feel like doing right now. I'm going to learn this instrument and have some more fun. So, the I don't know. I guess uh, reconnecting with whatever the hell is going on in this life has helped me help me uh, dig myself out of that low. Yeah. I mean, I just recently released a quick solo episode where I talk exactly about that pressure that we experience to kind of like, basically, I don't want to use the word burnout because I've got a little bit of a bad connotation with it, but like almost run ourselves to the ground, trying to fulfill all the expectations that aren't even real, but that we get an idea of from all these people who try to market to us. And it's sometimes really hard to distinguish between the people who 
give sound advice that's just advice that's just guidelines and all the majority of the people who are just trying to sell you something and basically tell you buy my services because you're going to get a thousand followers and then your life is going to be great but it's not true (laughs) yeah yeah it's a racket i mean everybody everybody's got a hammer and so then everything's a nail and you know they're just going to teach you yeah it's the same with chiropractic Can you quickly mention one high? It was the last time I played. Well, it wasn't the last time I played a show, but it was the last time, one of the last times I played that open mic night that was very overpopulated in my sense. I mean, it was uncomfortable for me to play there. Like I really had to struggle to go back every week and play in front of that many people because I was still a young guitar player. So there was a lot of nerves around performing. Right. Yeah. And I just remember one of the last times I played there before lockdown, I was comfortable. I felt, I felt good. And I was singing my song and I just got like full body chills as I was performing. You know, no one knew that I was getting the goosebumps. Right. Yeah. But to me, when I get goosebumps, I always take that as a sign from my higher being or my inner knowing that like I'm on the right track, that this is a, you know, keep going. And so just getting those goosebumps during the performance was like a real, it was like, it was a breakthrough moment where I just thought like, yeah, great. I can, I can do this, you know? And and since then I've formed a band to run my music and uh, yeah, it's just felt really good to, to do that. And I I mean, kind of just an offshoot of that. And one time I was in rehearsal with my band and we were playing the song and I just thought, holy shit, I'm really doing this. Like, like, we're in a band like next thing you know I'm going to be playing on stage with these people like not as a drummer you know as a as a songwriter singer songwriter out front and yeah it's just exciting so that was a good high for me just that reminder from my inner self to keep going yeah definitely and I think that always makes all the hard work and some of the the lows worth it is when you get to those points totally there's always going to be highs and lows especially because in music or any artistic path there is no there is no known way forward right i am always reminded of this um indiana jones scene that i've actually never seen i've never seen this scene but someone used it one time in a, in a description and i was like oh that makes a lot of sense and apparently indiana jones is like on the edge of a cliff and there's an invisible bridge that he can't see until he steps forward all the way off of the cliff. So he has to take not just one step, right? He has to take both steps forward and then the bridge appears in the path, right? And to me, that's sort of this analogy that like the path forward isn't known. You can't always see what the next step is, but you have to take this leap of faith. And that can be quite unnerving for people to just like keep, keep going. I mean, the trajectory for a chiropractor is, or any kind of any, a lot of those careers is, is pretty normalized. Right. But, um, who knows, you know, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm thinking being a chiropractor probably helped lay some of the foundation for where I'm at right now mentally, because having your own business, you still don't know when, when people are going to come in or where they even come from. And you just sort of start to learn to trust that they will keep coming in and that the business will stay afloat. And so I guess maybe having that background allows me to just continually trust, take step forward and know that it's all going to work out. Scene three, how to reconnect to the artist within. The thing about being an artist is it's all-consuming. Besides the highs and the lows, it really does become our existence. And when we lose our artistic outlet while we pursue something else, thinking that we'll have time for both, a part of us dies. And I know this sounds pretty morbid, but that's this is my experience of it. Like, you just feel that something's wrong when you don't have the time to really do what you love. You have a podcast, Reconnect to the Artist Within, and it deals with the resurrection, so to speak, of our inner artist 
pursuing that path and then when what happens when those creative juices get unleashed on the world but let's take it a step back what happens to us when we suppress our creativity and do you think that we can be happy without the outlet i don't think you can be happy without the outlet and it's a pretty strong statement but i think what I'm, i personally think that humans are innately creative that it's just in our dna to sing and dance and make music and make art and play we have been given the gift of imagination like that's incredible you can close your eyes and picture something whether it's a painting or and and you can bring it to life or you can close your you know you can hear a melody in your head and then make it into a song you're literally we have this gift to create something out of nothing and i think it is one of our greatest gifts i kind of think it's personally i think it's the purpose of life is to just use <laughs> imagination why do we have this thing called imagination that we can create something my dog doesn't do that right it's incredible and i think what ends up happening is like you said there's a part of us that dies and it's painful to look at the reality of that death and so i think a lot of us will numb the pain through drugs and alcohol binge watching television youtube whatever etc it's like we just learn over time to disassociate from the pain so that we don't have to experience it and i would say it's better to experience that pain because experiencing that pain gets you to take make a change to go for it right. wow. that was so beautifully said i was like okay this is the end of the podcast thank you very much for listening <laughs> wonderful no I, yeah yeah that's how i feel no, well, well, yeah. I mean, totally, totally agree with everything you said. You actually gave me a lot to just think about again. And then maybe for somebody listening who's struggling, I mean, I'm that's me too, struggling with a, or being maybe in a state of fear, desperately wanting to reconnect. Okay, maybe this is not me because I have, have kind of like reconnected. But somebody who's in that state where they're not doing their artistic thing, they're not in their creative flow, um, and they're hesitating because of uncertainty, because thinking, well, maybe things won't work out. How do you, we deal with the fear of failure as creatives? How do you deal with the fear of failure as a creative? I still have those fears. I don't think they necessarily go away, right? Maybe at some level of accomplishment, they might go away a little bit, but I'm not there yet. So I still have those fears. And I think it's, again, it's sort of a similar idea of feeling the pain. You have to be able to sit with the fear and recognize it for what it is. It's like this awareness that, okay, there I am again, telling, my, telling myself those stories of fear and doubt. Um, but that's okay. Those are just stories. Those aren't real. Um, yeah, so just being okay with the fear and not letting it take over. Essentially looking right at it for what it is. And that's just a bullshit story. Which, segue, that's what my next song is about. What? Bullshit story? <laughs> you know, just, just the lies that we yeah. tell ourselves okay. that hold ourselves All back. Right. You know, there's... Um, there's a quote from what's called the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Thomas is basically these found gospels that were found thousands of years after the Bible was written, something called the Gnostic gospels, right? But one of the, and some people suspect that they're a pure version of Christ's message because they're, they came out after Bibles had been translated. But one of my favorite quotes is from the gospel of Thomas and I'm paraphrasing but it says, you know, if you hold what's inside of you within, it will kill you. But if you let it out, like it will save you and other people. Right. And this guy was probably talking about like some serious Christ consciousness stuff. Yeah. But I think you can also equate that to your art, to your creativity. And so that's sort of the way that I interpreted it at the time. Um, 
so like, yeah, I think that if you hang on to whatever creativity you have inside of you and you suppress it, that that's just going to chew a hole inside of your heart. And that's no way to live. We've only got one life. It's, it's short, you know, so why not like let it out and just start, right? Even on the weekends or at night or something, turn Netflix yeah. off. Yeah, I know. That's the big thing, isn't it? Like turn some of the distractions, um, watch less YouTube videos. I mean, I'm on YouTube, but I, I tell myself consciously like, okay, let's stop consuming a bit because that will allow your own creativity to take action <laughs> and you'll create totally. something unique and original. So yeah, or Netflix or whatever else we, we like to consume. Now, can you share three tips for us on how we can reconnect to the artist within? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, kind of just going off of what we just said is quiet time, time, space and time to think and use those creative resources. It's a muscle, right? And so one of my favorite times for quiet reflection is walking my dog in the park in the morning. Um, it's part of the reason why I loved moving to Brussels to begin with, because all of a sudden, instead of being Dr. Mike, the chiropractor around town, I was a straight up ghost and I loved it. Nobody knew who I was. I was just a guy with a white dog, you know, but couldn't speak the language. So I just, yeah. So I just got to be in my head, right? I didn't have to talk to you. I actually love that. I can sit in a room of people speaking French or Dutch and I can't understand a word they're saying because then it's literally just background noise. It doesn't mean anything to me versus, you know, how your ears can't help but hear somebody speak your own language and just yeah. eavesdrop, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't experience that here hardly at all unless I'm speaking English. But so having space and time to allow that creativity to percolate up through you or to kind of grab it from the ethers and whatever, if your head's a magnet and the creativity is just coming at it, you know, you have to be quiet enough to hear the inspiration or see the inspiration. So I think quiet reflection is a big one. Depending on what your situation is versus single or in relationship, I'm in relationship so I can kind of relate better to that situation, right? Prior to being in a relationship, there was no one to answer to. So I could do whatever the hell I wanted to. But I think if you're in relationship um, and you're desiring to be more creative and maybe it's foreign to you because you have a, you know, conventional career. I think communication is key, right? Like none of what I'm doing right now is a surprise to my wife because I've been talking to her for the last eight years about not being content as a chiropractor, wanting to pursue music, right? She sees what I'm, what I'm doing in my time off. She sees, you know, what I wanted to do on the weekends, go to the recording studio with my band, etc. And so just like telling her, you know, or telling that person in your life, like what your heart's true desires are and also sharing with them, you know, the fears that you have and yeah, just, just being like totally open about what's really going on inside and not trying to like pretend like you have mm -hmm. it all together. Like me, sometimes. <laughs> you know, I don't have, yeah, I don't have it all together. Yeah. I don't have the answers. I just, you know, I'm just telling her what's going on and so I think communication is key. And then, I don't know, I guess the more practical advice is just practice your craft. Yeah. You know, playing the guitar and practicing the guitar every day really made me a better guitar player. And I'm still not a good guitar player, but I can, like, play the thing now and it sounds, you know, decent enough. That that kind of just helps the creativity move through you easier and faster. Yeah. All right. Well, just thinking about transforming the creativity into something lucrative and sustainable, what is the one thing that's helped you most? Communication with my wife. <laughs> really, because <laughs> okay. without her, I wouldn't be able to do what I do right now. Right? It's not like I have some massive savings that I'm living off of. Right. It was being honest to God, genuine with my wife about what I was experiencing and what I was feeling and her understanding and recognizing that she would rather be married to a happy, 
broke musician husband than a miserable financially secure chiropractor. I love the way you put that. <laughs> yeah, I can only speak to my situation. And uh, yeah, with behind every man is a great woman, right? That's the quote. I mean, she's like, she's my teammate, you know, and um, we're in this together. Wow. So. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mike. And I do have a quick bonus question and then round 42 as well. I mean, that you've said so many great things, honestly, like I've connected with quite a few of those statements. It's given me some things to think about, but I just like to bring the topic back to living abroad. And if you've experienced like an easy integration, what skills have put you in good stead to deal with the cultural differences? And you can just talk about one skill if you like. And even just saying that it's because you're an artist and artists can integrate more easily anywhere, anyway. Hmm. Okay, I have two thoughts there. The first one is get a dog. <laughs> because dogs open doors to friendships and friendships open doors to opportunities. Um, you know, if to move somewhere by yourself, I, I can't relate to because I haven't done that. Right. But all I know is that I would go to the park and I was only a ghost for a certain amount of time and I loved it. But eventually like people start to get to know you. They want to talk about your dog and you start to form friendships with these people so you inevitably are no longer a ghost. But I tell all my single friends, anybody like move into a new city, etc., or if you're lonely, dogs open doors. So many bands I played in in New York are because of my dog. That might but just be the audiogram I put on social media. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You know, there was that. And then I just, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe artists integrate better um, because I was a drummer landing in Brussels I was a singer songwriter. And at the time I still wanted to, I still do play the drums in a band. And so I just put a thing up on the internet, drummer seeking guitar player and people started responding to it. And next thing you know, you're playing music with strangers. So I think just as a creative, you know, put yourself out there, go to those events, those open mics. And I joined a songwriters collective and we met once a month and you just, yeah, you start to make friends. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much once again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I, I loved it. Where can people find out more about you or just get in touch? Um, maybe find some of your music as well. Sure, sure. Um, I'm primarily on Instagram. That would be like my platform of choice these days. Mm -hmm. And it is the beat doc, D-O-C, not the beat dog. <laughs> some people think it's the beat dog. Well, there's been a discussion <laughs> of the dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that's an old moniker from my days as a chiropractor and a drummer. And I still am those things realistically. And so I've kept the name. It sounds like I'm a DJ, yeah. but I'm not a DJ. I'm just a drummer and a songwriter. So the beat doc on Instagram, um, if you want to listen to my music on Spotify, there was a lot of Mike Murray's already. So my I music is, <laughs> yeah. So my music is under Mike Murray and the existential tigers. That's the full name of the project. Cool. Right. I will go check that out. I definitely will include all of the links in the show notes. And just before we go, I do have the answer to life, the universe and everything. Round 42. <laughs> A couple of quick questions. It's the end of the world. Well, okay. Let's go for it. I like it. Only one song can survive, except of course yours, but you've got them like close to you. They survive, but only one other one. Which one is it? Okay, so a song by another artist, huh? Oh man. I would say there's a song by Most Deaf called Sun, Moon and Stars. And uh, that song just hits something very deeply inside of me. There's uh it's just jazzy, it's hip hop, it's got a message. So Sun, Moon and Stars by Most Def, that would be the one. I don't know me. it, so I will listen to it this tonight or whenever I cool. get a chance now. New York or Belgium, if you had to choose, where would you live and why? 
Belgium because New York is colder, but also um, it's extreme. New York is an extreme environment, stressed out people, anxious people. I mean, we, we have that here in Brussels, but it's uh, it's just more, it's just tuned down. It's like New York is, you got the dial cranked all the way past 10, all the way up to 11, just coming in at you. And, and Brussels has turned that down a few notches and uh, it's just easier to take in. So I would stay here. Great. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? That pit bulls are the best dog that you can have. Yeah, I do know a few people who aren't too keen on pit bulls. Is that your dog, by the way? I have a pit bull oh, Dalmatian, right. yeah. A white one, okay. Oh, like with black one, yeah. spots? A little bit, yeah. She's got a few black spots. What is her but name? The, her name is Pistachio. Oh, that's such a cool name. I love pistachios. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. yes. My, I've got a cat. Her name's Darjeeling. It's tea. <laughs> We're in the food. Oh, yeah, Darjeeling tea. Yeah, yeah cool. The food, yeah. They're gentle giants. Mm. They, did, they get a bad rep, but uh, anyone who has one, they understand. It's a, it's a unique breed, and they have a unique personality. They really understand you as a human. It's hard to describe. I actually know somebody who's got a pit bull, and it's all coming back to me now. They're really like friendly dogs. They're really like kind yeah. dogs. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's converted. This is her first dog ever. She doesn't want another mm. breed after this. She wants another pit bull. Cool. What would you do tomorrow if you were twenty percent braver? Twenty percent braver? What would I do tomorrow if I was twenty percent braver? Hmm. That's a great question. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I would probably contact more music venues to play live at. I think that's one thing that I've been shying away from right now is allowing the opportunities to come to me versus putting myself out there and trying to look for those opportunities. And so I, I would probably do more of that. Awesome. Really enjoyed this conversation. And like I say, I've just got tons of quotes and things to choose from. So thank you so much for joining me. And I think that's the third time I said thank you. So stop. <laughs> All good. Thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening to the show. Podcasting is actually quite easy to get into, but it's very hard to sustain. Even more so when you're looking to get into video casts. Now, why am I saying this? It's because that's where I love helping people. I love podcasts. I love videos. So I combine those two things. I've got a one page roadmap or guide, if you like, that will give you the essentials of a kick-ass podcast, first of all, and how you can maximize reach and impact through using videos. Check it out at creatorsabroad.com forward slash roadmap. Make it happen. And of course, join me next time for more narrative journeys of creators abroad.